The Urbanist is brought to you in association with the Department of Culture and Tourism, Abu Dhabi. Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi is a beacon of hope and inspiration. A catalyst to spark growth and collaboration with museums and experiences, where art and science and nature and technology coexist. The belief of Abu Dhabi that culture is the backbone of our society. Stay tuned for a special episode of the show, in which you can hear His Excellency Mohammed Khalifa Al-Mubarak explain exactly why and how Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi is the perfect place to collaborate, create, and innovate. Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi, proud partner of The Urbanist on Monocle Radio. Hello and welcome to The Urbanist, Monocle 24's programme all about the built environment and how to make better cities. I'm your host, Andrew Tuck. Coming up on this episode. We often say that this is not just public space, you know, it's more than that, it's an experience. And what we try to do is to reconnect the Champs-Élysées to the entire Parisian space. Monocle's team has just arrived in Paris today, where we're kicking off our annual Quality of Life conference. So we wanted to take that opportunity here on The Urbanist to put the spotlight on the French capital and what makes it tick. We'll hear about the ambitious plan to revamp the iconic Avenue des Champs-Élysées, meet the team trying to turn the city's abandoned railway line into a walking route and explore what gives Paris its joie de vivre. All that and much more coming up over the next 30 minutes right here on The Urbanist with me, Andrew Tuck. Welcome to this week's episode. This week, we're celebrating all things Paris. So let's start with a project that's causing a bit of a buzz in the capital. Just last month, Mayor Anne Hidalgo outlined a €250 million revitalisation of the Champs-Élysées, taking place before and after the 2024 Olympic Games. The initial phase of this transformation will see new vegetation and general repairs to buildings. As for the second phase, it includes a reconfiguration of the avenue's traffic and improvements to public areas such as Place de la Concorde and the Champs-Élysées Gardens, a project that has fallen to architecture studio PCA Stream. Monocle's Carlotta Ribello caught up with Etienne Riot, Director of Applied Research and Innovation at PCA Stream, to find out more about the project. The vision is first that it is an iconic avenue for French people, but also for international uh, tourists who are coming in uh, within the city. But for Parisians, it was a, a little bit a deceiving destination for a decade. And so we had to rethink about what should be the Champs-Élysées of the future. And the project now is to focus on the feasibility of changing the Champs-Élysées regarding major objectives. The first one is to re-enchant the Champs-Élysées, to make it a new destination for Parisians, but also for foreigners, and to be sure that it will be fit for the future. So we have to reinvent the destination in terms of aesthetics, in terms of work in terms of rewilding a little bit. Uh, it means to be sure that nature will be nurtured and also to provide new services and to attract people to this avenue. 
It has to be like a showcase of what should be an avenue in a very dense city like Paris is in the 21st century when we have to tackle the challenges of environmental transition, how to also be sure that it would be a long, timeless renovation. So it's really important for us to be sure that it will be done in a very good way. And the initiative, the Champs-Élysées initiative right now, is a two-time initiative. There is what the city of Paris will do before the Olympic Games of 2024. And PCA Stream is in charge of redesigning the Champs-Élysées for the time after the Olympic Games. You mentioned there, of course, the Olympics. This was going to bring me to the next question, because obviously this is a, an important moment for Paris in terms of urban design and planning. It's a big opportunity that we know a lot of cities use the Olympics as a, a way to propel investment and change in their cities. But it feels quite poignant, the timing for Paris. Uh, so what has to be done after the Olympics leave town, maybe not just with Champs-Élysées, but looking more broadly, to ensure that that legacy continues? The legacy we want to have is to have a frugal legacy. It means that we have to develop an heritage of the Olympic Games based on what is existing right now. So it means that we are trying to improve, for the avenue for instance, we are trying to improve everything that can be improved, we are trying to repair everything that should be repaired, and then we try try to find really fit-for-the-future solutions, and it means ecological solutions. So we try to revamp the avenue in order to be sure that people will go in there, that they will walk through the avenue, that we have great experience, that we have the willingness to come back, but also to be sure that it will be in a very comfortable atmosphere. So comfort means urban amenities, but it means also real effort and precision on nature and on the way we will lower high temperatures that are rising in Paris in the next decades. So the Comité Champs-Élysées, which is a, a private organization of owners of the Champs-Élysées, ask us to do that vision. So it will be part of the heritage of the legacy of the Olympic Games, but we see far beyond. Was there any part of you or of the team that, you know, it can be quite scary when you deal with such an iconic piece of a city, you know, people who have even never been to Paris, they know about the Champs-Élysées, they've heard about it. Absolutely. Was there a part of you that, not, I wouldn't say fearful, that sounds bad, but there's a lot of responsibility that comes with redeveloping iconic pieces of our cities such as this avenue. This is a shared responsibility because what's very innovative is that it's a common understanding between the Comité Champs-Élysées and the city of Paris. So this is very new for this. And for us as architects, designers and urban designers, we are thrilled to do this project because for us it means it implies a lot of dialogue, a lot of dialogue with all of the stakeholders of the avenue. There is the people living very close to the Champs-Élysées. We will act with them, so we will ask them what they need. We will try to understand what are their habits, etc. There are a lot of shops, but there are also a lot of investors who own the buildings and will work closely with them to understand what we should do that will answer to the problems they are facing. And of course, we will work closely with all public authorities involved in this area to be sure that it is a good public project, a good urban public project for redesigning these avenues, these iconic avenues. We often say that it's not just public space, you know, it's more than that, it's an experience. And what we try to do is to reconnect the Champs-Élysées to the entire Parisian space. Because today, we say that the Place de la Concorde, which is on the eastern part of the Champs-Élysées, is like a locker, you know, and we have to unlock that place. Then we want people to walk through the avenue and then we want to provide them the best 
experience possible to enjoy the heritage they can see, the monuments, the, the legacy of the past that is visible from the Champs-Élysées. But also, the story of the Champs-Élysées has always been to be a showcase of the future. So we have to combine this and we'll do through a strong dialogue with all stakeholders involved. That was Etienne Riot, Director of Applied Research and Innovation at PCA Stream, speaking to the urbanists Carlotta Rebello. Now, at the time that this show is hitting your earphones and your laptops, Most of Monocle's team is already in Paris for our Quality of Life conference. One of that very team is culture editor Chiara Rimella, who joins me now here in the studio to give you a sneak peek. Well, Chiara, it's great that we've finally arrived in Paris and tomorrow we have the big day of the conference and tonight there's a bit of a knees up too. And Well, I don't actually, maybe you don't get your knees up on the first night. You, do, you just get your, your glasses up and you have a refined drink. We'll, we'll save the knees up for later. But it's interesting being in Paris. We were in Athens a year ago and there the debate about the city was at a much earlier stage in some ways. What strikes you about Paris and that difference in a way between host cities for the Monocle Conference? It's really interesting, Andrew, because I actually hadn't been to Paris in a very long time. And I think that it feels like the city has changed a lot, but it occupies a different place, I think, in people's understanding of major European capitals. It feels like an established centre of commerce in terms of fashion, an established centre of media also. And I feel like when we were in Athens, we were very much having a kind of Berlin conversation in a way. As a culture editor, I was hosting a panel back then about the art scene and whether Athens was having a moment because it was so cheap compared to so many other European capitals. But I do think that this is a very interesting moment for Paris also in that it's not just living off the grandeur of its quite established credentials. So many new hotels have opened over the last couple of years, as we have witnessed on the pages of Monocle. So many new restaurants, so many new initiatives. I think that the fact that the Olympics are coming is really heralding a moment when the city is rethinking completely its layout. The pandemic has given it lots of time to rethink its spaces, which you have chronicled with the urbanist team over the course of the last few years also. So I think in a way, it could be a really interesting lens to look at other cities who perhaps are a little bit more stuck in their ways and how they can rethink themselves. What do you reckon? Well, I think so. But what's interesting is, you know, seeing the reporting that you've done just in recent months, you know, for example, this challenge around affordability, because, you know, that Paris does very well at the big cultural institutions. And there's so much wealth in the city from the fashion industries, for example, that it can find backers for Grand Projet. But you did a story just recently about the challenge to Paris in a way from places like Marseille, where there is more affordable studio space where you can be maybe a little bit more experimental. So I wonder, is that something you'll be interested to hear about over the coming days as well? Definitely. I mean, one of the most interesting stories that I think we've done out of Paris in the art space is this project called Comunuma, which is this huge kind of gallery complex, again, in one of the suburbs outside the city. So I think one of the things I'm most interested in listening to, particularly as we will be at the Lisne Femme, which is outside of the classic kind of circles of culture of Paris is how are the suburbs, the banlieue, being integrated in the life of the city? I think that's been a struggle for Paris for decades and decades. And maybe we're looking at some projects that might be trying to bridge that gap. It's fascinating because we've been charting this kind of reinventing Paris theme and this idea of getting people, even when they come for a weekend, to go out of the centre and discover the neighbourhoods that are beyond the, the periphery. 
it's again, it's a story that you've touched on. It's happening in Lisbon. It's happening all over. That finally, I don't know if it is pandemic-induced, but finally there is a, a kind of understanding that that we need to make more of the culture that happens, very rich culture that happens on the peripheries of our cities. And again, much of the stuff that you've been covering for years now in Monocle is about trying to tap into this richer, diverser, more interesting cultural heritage that Paris has, that all our cities have on their peripheries. I think so, definitely. And I think that in many ways, the time of Parisian culture being completely associated with Louvre is gone, that those institutions are now having to actually take issue with lots of other different problems. We've seen how Macron has, for example, tackled the whole issue of colonial restitution. You know, there are big conversations that are changing the way that France understands its own culture, understands its own relations with the with the former colonies and the relationship that it has with all the artefacts in these museums. And I think also France, from a cultural point of view, is very interesting for me because these conversations are happening and it is a country that is quite unafraid of having these conversations. You know, you're looking at a place like France, Germany is also having similar conversations in terms of arts and culture. But I think it's a place where debate is still very much alive and kicking. And I think that's something that also we hopefully will tap into on a day of debate on Friday. Well, I'm going to get to go out to parts of the suburbs to see where they're, they're building the new aquatic centre, which is going to be a key development, the only key development around the Olympics, which is out in Saint-Denis. But for you, other highlights of the, the Quality of Life conference, which, you know, it puts a filter on all sorts of aspects of, of city life. So what will you be looking forward to tomorrow? I'll definitely be looking forward to listening to Catherine Gustafsson just because I think that I have a true admiration for her work as a landscape architect and again someone that I'm sure has orbited the urbanist for quite some time. I'm obviously looking forward to the panel we'll be hosting together of course. (laughs) Um, Tapping into your knowledge of photography actually I know that you're really passionate about photography and I am too and I think we'll have two excellent speakers on the case Zed Nelson and Rina Effendi both of whom have shot for Monocle plenty of times but we'll be talking about photography as images, as beautiful images, as journalism, and the way that they change, the way that we look at media. So I think that's going to be another hugely kind of fascinating conversation. And finally, I'm really curious to hear from Florence Martin Kessler, who edits Live Magazine, because I think she's going to have an excellent kind of command of the stage. She does these magazines that come alive on stage. We've done a story about her in Monocle also. So I hope that she's not going to upstage us. Well, we've asked her to explain Paris in 10 ideas. And I've seen some of them. They're quirky and they're fun, but it makes you realise, you know, for us for coming from London, for example, so near Paris and, of course, a knowable in many ways, but still a mystery to many outsiders when you, you really get to see what make, <laughs> makes the city tick. Monocle's Chiara Ramella there. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, we also wanted to bring you a little explainer on what makes Paris such a fun city to go out and let some steam off in. And who better than Monocle's Robert Bound to be your guide? Here he is. Dear Paris, do you ever feel straightened, restricted, like modern life is just a little too serious? Too many early nights and little metal bottles of water. Is too much work and not enough play making Jacques a dull boy? Do you sense a spiritual quest for secular rectitude that's leaving its converts clear-eyed, sure, but also empty-headed? Or to put it another way, is a certain kind of Californication creeping in, but without the good weather or the fornication. We can hear our huich, so let us present an aid memoir to something like living in George Gershwin's summertime, where the living is easy and the cotton is high. 
And with any luck, so might we all be. I've got a list. I've got a number. I know a guy. Go out. Living in public is good for you. Embrace the place. The cafe, the bar, the left bank or the right. Either side will do. Charm and be charm. Be a flaneur rather than a bon liossard. Hang out. The city needs good-looking grown-ups like you. Come on. What would Rabelais say? Mix your drinks in the sense of ordering something strong with at least two ingredients and have it made by someone wearing a tie in a bar that doesn't serve beer. Embrace cocktail hour. It is the difference between work and play, night and day. It is a gateway. Martini, Negroni, cut to the chase. What are you, six? Be Epicurious. There is a patron saint of ugly people, St. Drogo, and of difficult marriages, St. Gamarus, unbelievably a Belgian. But there is no patron saint of pleasure. Well, what did you expect? For ancient Greek naughtiness, we have Epicurus, who wrote, All good and evil lie in sensation, but death is its absence. Epicurus was an early Serge Gainsbourg, who was helped in his late-night philosophizing by four women named Erosian, Lovey, Nikidian, Little Victory, Hedea, Sweetie Pie, and Mamarian. Big boobs. <laughs> Embrace the ancients. Vive la différence. We're told that it's a small world. That is nonsense. It's big, we're all different, and that's why we love to explore and why we fall in love when we get there. Being equal is a must, but who wants to be the same? That scene, that scent, that skin, what a wonderful world. Say yes. I know Paris. Non can feel so powerful, but yes is music. Invitations claim that they are for one thing, a private view, a cocktail party, but we all know that invitations are really asking you to do absolutely anything with anyone. Parade across the rooftops? Sure. We'd also recommend dancing, sunbathing, packing a swimsuit for any and every trip, dressing up so that you can undress to impress, sending mindfulness back to Los Angeles. Give hedonism a whirl. Watch that sunrise. It is a spiritual quest, just of a kind of different kind. After all, louche is a French word. Possibly. For Monocle, in Paris, with Mamarion, Naturellement, I'm Robert Bound. Like many European cities, Paris is also home to a network of unused and abandoned railway lines, one of which is the Petite Ceinture, a small ring road railway that circles the city core and which was once used to carry cargo across the town. Now a new project by the Promeneurs de la Petite Ceinture Association or the Walkers of the Petite Ceinture wants to connect these 32 kilometres of railway and turn them into walking routes with bars, cafes and cultural activities all around. Antoine Sander is the president of the association and he spoke with Carlotta Rebello a little bit earlier on. The Petite Ceinture is a very old railway line in Paris, so it circles around the city. It's a loop. I think the closest translation in English would be the small belt. And so it loops around Paris inside of the Périphérique, so the circular highway, so it was built in the mid-19th century, and at the time it was really quite the pinnacle of modernity. You have to think that this is a time where public transport was basically horse carriages. And so you have this modern train that is built primarily to link up all of the 
main railway networks because Paris does not have a central terminal, a bit like London. And so you have all of these terminals that weren't united. And so to transfer goods from one part of the country to the next, you would actually have to make them arrive inside of Paris and then transfer them via horse and take the train again and another terminal. And so the main purpose of the Petite Ceinture was to be able to transfer goods from one network to the other. But it was so modern and popular and useful that it was soon used as well for passenger transportation. And so in the 1900s, 39 million people used the Petite Ceinture. However, with the metro arriving at the beginning of the 20th century, passenger traffic just went down until 1934 when it was stopped altogether. And then from 1934 to about the 1990s, the Petite Ceinture was exclusively used for freight transportation. And then in the 1990s, with the closure of all of Paris's main industrial sites within the city, it was left in disuse. And so for the past, let's say, 10, 15 years, the city has been pushing to transform parts of the Petite Ceinture into a walkway. And so our role is really to advocate for more, because right now, so the Petite Ceinture, I should have said, is 32 kilometers long, so about 20 miles. So it's really quite a large piece of infrastructure. And so what the city has done is it has opened bits and pieces, but right now it remains quite fragmented. And so what we're trying to advocate for is to unite all of these fragments to recreate a green walkway that's the full 32 kilometers. It's quite amazing to look at the images that you have on your website. One is a map that shows just exactly that scale, those 32 kilometers. It is quite an amazing structure that surrounds the entire city. And then to see some of the photos of when it was abandoned as well and of the vegetation creeping in between the railway line. Now, as you mentioned, this is quite a large scale project. We're talking here about 19 former stations that are part of the Petite Tinture, 32 kilometers. You mentioned in uh, your website how you want this project to basically act almost like an extra lung for the city of Paris. How important is it to, you know, have these spaces for people to walk around, but also be right in the middle of the city while having amazing connection to nature and to green areas? I think that that's what's most amazing about the Petite Ceinture is that when freight traffic stopped, what was quite surprising, maybe not so surprising, but that kind of spontaneous vegetation took over the entire railway line. And so what you have today is that the Petite Ceinture with the two main woods is Paris's largest biodiversity reserve. And so, you know, in a time of climate change where cities everywhere are looking to find spaces where you can breathe, I mean, we've had heat waves in Paris for the past three or four years, the city can become quickly suffocating. So it's really important, I think, to preserve these spaces of wilderness, or let's say, I think wilderness in a city is never quite appropriate, but at least wilder than the rest of the city, and to preserve them and to grant access to people because we need to kind of have these spaces where we can take a breath and just unwind and forget for a split second that we're inside the city. And that's what's so amazing about the Petite Ceinture is that its terrain is quite diverse. And so you will have from one section to the next, you will have a totally different type of vegetation, different type of animals as well that live on the infrastructure. And so, yeah, we really have to preserve these spaces and try to build upon what nature has done on its own. Well, speaking of spaces, it's important to mention as well that this is not just about connecting those green walkways that people can take, but also to bring some life to the Petite Centure with urban farms and gardens, some restaurants and cafes. And I believe a few of these are already open. 
Yeah, so that's also a development of the past 15 years. So what you have is that along the Petite Ceinture, you have a, a series of infrastructures. So you mentioned train stations, but we also have coal drops and these kinds of railway-linked infrastructure. And slowly what's happening is that the city and the SNCF, which is the main train company in France, slowly they're trying to bring life back to the surroundings and to all of these buildings. And so currently I think you have over 10 spaces, train stations, you mentioned urban farms, etc., that have opened and that dot the entire Petite Ceinture. So really the walkway would be uniting all of these spaces because right now what you have as well is that all of these spaces are known to Parisians. They will know about the Recyclerie, the Hazard Ludique, some of these spaces, but they sometimes lack the understanding that all of these spaces are connected and united by the same infrastructure. And so if you imagine a walkway all around, I think it would really create a formidable space that would be both a park, a very large one too, it would be Paris's biggest park, but also a park that is very much alive and bustling with activity. Now, some parts of the Petit Centur are already opened, as you've just been describing. The aim would be to connect it fully. But for the bits that are already open and the public is able to walk through, do you find like people enjoy to walk in these walkways? Do people know about it? Is it a project that still needs to get a bit of a publicity out there? Or is it known to Parisians? It's really changed in the past five or six years with all of these new sections opening. So I would say that when we started working on the Petite Ceinture, it remained quite underground and only known to people who were quite into urban exploration, etc. That has definitely changed because now with the 10 kilometers, so basically each of the exterior arrondissement or districts has its own little linear park. And thus, I think that today it's becoming much more known. However, what isn't known is the unity of the line itself. So people will know, oh, I know this section of the Petite Ceinture, but what they often don't know is that it goes all around Paris. So they will think that it's only in their district that this line comes through. And because it's fragmented and they're blocked at either end of the walkway, it's hard for people to figure out that all of this is connected. So typically, this is something that we're trying to showcase on our website and through events. We organize quite a lot of urban walks and things like this to really show people the potential and the unity of the infrastructure, not just the fact that in your neighborhood, you have a small linear park that is quite nice. And I think that what we've seen, at least on the ground, is that it was tremendously popular. All of these sections are popular with residents and the local communities. Well, yes, we've been seeing uh, similar examples, not necessarily like the Petit Centur, of course, but of making use of either abandoned railway arches or the space under the arches, or even here in London, there's uh, the highway in Camden and another one down in South London. Of course, the High Line in New York City. So it has become also more popular with people to see these spaces as some that can be reused. Has that movement helped the association to gain some more traction? with the right people? Definitely. I think it does help to have big examples that are very famous abroad, including I think the High Line is a, it's a big deal and a lot of Parisians know about it. I would say what is a bit different about our project or the way that the city and the SNCF and our uh, organization see the Petite Ceinture is that contrary to a lot of these projects that usually kind of do away with the rail infrastructure and build a new kind of a very designed and landscaped park, I think our intention is really to advocate for a 
minimal intervention and thus to really preserve the kind of the railway DNA that the space has. So I think that the projects abroad definitely serve as inspiration. It also serves to show that this is kind of part of a broader movement around the world to transform infrastructure. But at the same time, to advocate for something to be done a bit differently. And I think as well in Paris, what's particularly useful is that there is the example or the precedent of the Coulée Verte, which is also a, an old railway line that was converted in the 1990s that actually served as inspiration to the High Line. So this is also a very kind of landscape project, but it's very useful for us because it means that we can have a, a kind of a reference when we speak to people. Oh, you see, this would be like the Coulée Verte or for people who have traveled and may know the New York example. It's a bit like the High line. So it's definitely useful for us. And Antoine, just before I let you go, if uh, one of us, or if I would be in Paris this coming weekend and wanted to walk in one of these already open sections, where would uh, you recommend we'd go and what might we find? So what I would recommend probably first is to take a look, depending on where you are in the city. So to take a look at our website, we have a big map that really shows which sections are open. Then it's really a question of preference. All of these sections will be very different. And so if you're walking in the chic kind of west of Paris, you will find something that is very, you know, you'd be surrounded by the kind of the traditional Haussmann buildings, etc. Whereas if you walk in the northeast of town, you will come across a jazz bar that, you know, is all covered in graffiti and has this more kind of grunge aspect to it. So I think it's really a matter of personal preferences. What I would suggest is to start close to where you are and also to try not just to do one of these sections, but really to try to either connect a few of them, so to walk along the Petit Centre and to follow it, or to try different parts of town to kind of compare and contrast. For my part, I think one of the sections that I really prefer is that in the south of the city, the Petit Centre du 14e. So that's in the really in the south because it's I think it's one of the best preserved walkways. But the best way, if you're going next week to Paris next weekend, I'd say try to set aside a couple of hours, look at our map and see where you have more sections open and try to link up at least a couple of them to kind of see the diversity of the space. Antoine Sander talking to Monocle's Carlotta Ribello. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode of The Urbanist. Get your weekly fix of urbanism and built environment news by subscribing to our podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and of course at monocle.com. And don't forget to buy the magazine too. Monocle every month has loads of stories on urbanism and urban design and you'd be a fool if you missed out. Well, today's episode was produced by Carlotta Ribello and David Stevens, And David also edited the show. To play you out this week, here's Lumiere with La Belle Journée. Thank you for listening, city lovers. Mr.